live at the 7.30 hour Morningwood Radio with your host, Hunter McIntyre, co-host Today is the most interesting man in Ireland, Mr. Tom. How are we doing, boys? <laughs> Look at that What an introduction. I'm most not gonna... interesting man in Ireland. People are going to yeah. quickly find out I'm not. Oh, Tom, yeah. I'm not going to lie. You're a deadbeat, dude. We all showed up in our, t- in our company tees and stuff. And what are you wearing? Some kind of knit cardigan? Yeah, it's cold. It's cold. <laughs> this is called the hoodie, and it's got our logos all over it. These things keep you just as warm, you son of a gun. I started planning for this show about three minutes ago. Ah. Uh, it goes so, to show the work ethic that goes on in Ireland is not I, what they crack it up to be. I do have, like, bits of vinyl with Diddler on it. That's good go. enough. That's good enough. Stick it on me forehead or something for the show. <laughs> you know, you hear all these things about how tough the Irish are and how hardworking they are and stuff. But when you get down to the real brass tacks of it all, they're lazy just like everybody else. <laughs> we basically yeah. built the whole world. The Irish it's people. true. Uh, this is going to come across as rough, but you guys were kind of the originals, uh, the OGs out here of being cheap, hard labor. <laughs> But that's what I am. I'm a Garahan. So, like, my grandfather's parents came over from Ireland and they were uh, raised in, like, Woonsocket, Rhode Island and stuff. They were a cheap, they were a cheap, hardworking bunch of people. But you, on the other hand, your family couldn't even afford boat tickets. So, you guys were stuck in Ireland. And that's why you've been there ever since. Been there ever since. Miserable and cold. You know, I have to say, I was really impressed when I went up there. It was really beautiful for like three minutes <laughs> when we got up to the tip of Donegal and then the rest of it was shit. Yeah, we turned that on for you. We keep that for when tourists come, especially the Americans, the big spenders. Yeah. Then so we anybody, revert back to the rain. Anybody who's tuning in, I'm just going to give an abbreviated um, elevator pitch of who Tom is and understand why he's here because normally I don't interview Irish. I won't waste my time. <laughs> But uh, Tom is a business partner of mine, but more importantly, he is the current reigning world record holder, untouchable by people like Michael Sandbitch and Tim wow. Winish. And uh, we have a lot of takers. There's a lot of like these just like, you know, these little children that are scratching at the door, wishing that they could get in there, but they can't. They can't. They got these soft little kitten paws when we're grown as tigers. Okay. We're out there taking people down left, right, and center. And I not only have one world record, I have multiple world records. And Tom, I've actually been going through your athletic career. Tom's been kicking ass since most of you guys have been 10 years old. (laughs) So he's a decorated man, um, probably one of the fittest guys in all of uh, the UK and probably the fittest man in all of Ireland. And then, you know, on top of that, Tom is a business partner of mine. He's the president of European Development out in the UK for Builder. And Tom's actually whooping my ass in numbers this month for sales. Tom, I'm not gonna lie, a little yeah. bit embarrassed over here. <laughs> a little embarrassed. You, you, need to pull the finger my, out. you got me on my heels right now, dude. You got me on my heels. I might replace you if you don't pull the finger out. Yeah, you shut your whore mouth right now, Tom. <laughs> you shut your whore mouth on your I, I, I saw you pushing that sled at the uh the high rocks, the, the second station, that sled push. It was like butter over there. Are you sure you have the same carpet? Oh. Goddamn Americans and their carpets with, with high rocks. That's all we talk about. <laughs> it's heavier Listen, over here. It's not heavier. a carpet over there. For them, it's, it's a magic. It's a magic carpet. You gotta understand. I think, it, I think it picks every the sled competitor up gets, gets a can of Pam to to, <laughs> yeah. grease the, to grease the sled. Yeah, they they the sled the their magic carpet over there picks it up for them and carries it across the thing. <laughs> you know. I will start out by saying anytime I hear from uh, somebody talking about the uh, great time that they posted across the ocean, I quickly just put an asterisk on top of that time. Um, it's I impossible. It's impossible to compare times. That's it is. That's become apparent as the as the seasons have wore on. That it is impossible. And head to heads are really the only way you're ever going to see who was the best of this thing. I'm just gonna say that. Uh, we still hold the world record. Who gives a shit what they say? <laughs> <laughs> what that, are they going to do? That was with the like 30-second rock zone. Yeah. Who, who, what are they going to do to us, Tom? They can't do anything. They can't take us from us. Get <laughs> right from my cold dead fingers, you son of a gun. <laughs> so 
I mean, Tom, there's a lot of things I want to talk about today. Um, most importantly, like I, I, we're on an Ironman kick right now, and I know you've done several Ironmans, but I think it's interesting uh, to talk to you about it because you didn't like isolate yourself specifically into Ironmans, um, but you still had some pretty stellar times. So I think just to kind of like we're just going to climb up the ladder one step at a time. People want to know how did it all start and where did you start? Like, I mean, you 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 grew up in like a, like a cabbage patch village in Ireland, correct? <laughs> yeah, during the famine, we we only yeah. ate potatoes. That's cool. That's cool. Tell us about it. What was that like? <laughs> it was good. We we didn't have shoes. Very That's interesting. Yeah. Like, Did you guys at that time think that the earth was flat, and that there was nothing beyond? There was nothing beyond the stone walls of your of your community. <laughs> You're like, what's what's out there? This is very racist podcast. No, it's not. No, it's not. This is this is truly. I'm, I'm inquiring. I'm trying to find out what goes on. It is. Uh, it's exactly as you describe. Yeah. Stone walls, head schools. It's kind of shit that went on. When did and you I realize that you're you're a decent athlete? Uh, I ended up starting. I played soccer oh. and GAA, which is the local sports in Ireland, Gaelic games. Up till I was 24, and I was always pretty decent at running, always one of the fittest on teams and stuff. And a guy training this one year bet me 100 euros or something that I wouldn't beat him in a 5k. And that's kind of how it started. I went and bet him, thought, geez, actually enjoyed this, and just took up running from there. The following year, kind of quit the team sports. I didn't, the team sport thing was like, People don't put in the effort that you're putting in, so it gets frustrating and annoying. And it's like, I just prefer to do an individual thing. So started running and quickly kind of realized I was decent at it and put in more and more effort to, into the sport. I only run for cash. <laughs> I only run for cash. If there ain't a cash prize. Hunter's not going to show up at that line. Yeah, nope. well, when the, when the kids were very small, we used to only run races to have prize money. We used to pick up a decent amount of prize money every year. It was yeah. an extra form of income. So that's and give it us, makes you hungrier. A... It's hard to beat someone who's trying to win for a reason. What was what was like an average payday for like a good old ten K in the in the Ireland? You get about two fifty or three hundred euro, but you wouldn't have to put in any sort of effort. You know, bank holiday weekends, you could go to three or four races, just run 32 minutes in all of them and pick up the, the check in, in all the races. Like, I remember doing four Martins in in space of five weeks and winning like 8,000 euros without ever really pushing myself in any of the Martins. That's bad. Just kind of run, just running 235, 240 in all of them. How old were you? Uh, when I was running the Martins, probably 32, 33. Oh, wow. So it's like my age. Yeah. Dude, I remember when I first started mud running, like, you know, I find out about this thing. I run my first one. I take sixth place out of 10,000 people. Then all of a sudden I asked my dad, I was like, dad, will you cover my ticket into the next one? And my parents were already pissed at me to begin with. And my dad was like, you have three races to figure out your shit. Are you coming home? <laughs> so he pays for one of them. I take third place. I think I got like 150, 200 bucks. Then the next one, I take second place. I get 300 bucks. Then the next one, um, I won it and I got 500 bucks. And from that point on, we were literally going to a race every single weekend of the month for anywhere from like, if you won, which I typically was, I was either coming first or second place, second place to Hobie. I would be winning like 500 to a thousand bucks. And then we would do the team race the next day. And it would be like a split of like twelve hundred to two thousand dollars. So you could walk away every single weekend with around one thousand to two thousand bucks. And nice. it was it was like we were sleeping on the floor, like five guys in a bed, two guys on the floor, one guy in the tub with towels laid down all over the place. And that's how we existed. <laughs> like we were just going place to place to place. Like I didn't have kids, luckily, but it was incredible, dude. It was the most exciting period of time in my life. Um like the only shoes that I was that I said party animal. Well, dude, I mean, we, would, <laughs> we got wasted after every single time. And the greatest part about it is we were so young that the people who are like older at the races, like me, like imagine like a young a guy who came up and raced and took second place to me at a high rocks and was like 23. I'd be like, I'm going to get this kid wasted. 
what a stud like what a stud so that was what would end up happening is we would just get tanked but um sorry i didn't mean to distract from your, so, your no, storyline no. so you it's a rich period of life would you have raced like the top level lads all the time or would you avoid each other no every single time we could get a hold of it because i was number two number two or number three at the time there was hobie call cody mo then myself then the field started to fill itself in but I, every single race no matter what i was in third um i was first through third i've only raced twice off the podium in my entire spartan race career um except for spartan race uh it was a spartan race world championships and then one non-championship race and we would just show up and then they had these races like navy navy federal credit union which would sponsor and give two thousand dollars and those ones you'd show up to and it literally felt like someone had strapped a turbo charger to like your hips and you were sprinting so hard and dude i at the time like you know had literally accelerated from being like a 16 minute, 17 minute, 10, um, 5k guy in high school. And sometimes I'd break the 15s, but I never really was that good. Um, but then all of a sudden now I'm like 50 pounds heavier and I'm running faster and we're just going through the woods. It was not those Spartan races you have now. It was just like <laughs> smashing into trees and bushes and shit. And, uh, it was so scary and so intense. And you went home and you just like lick the pus out of your wounds because at the time back then they put barbed wire on everything. It was so mm -hmm. stupid and so unsafe. I hated it. I have scars all over my body this day. You'd like let, let you'd, you'd sit there stiff in a bed for two days and then you'd sober up and then you'd start racing. Like you'd have three days of training and then you race the weekend. Racing. Yeah. yeah, that's very different than what we had because there was about 10, about 10 guys over here who used to kind of win everything. And we'd all, because there were so many races and such good prize money out there, we just wouldn't race each other. So every Thursday, you get a lot of messages on your phone, basically, where are you going this weekend? And yeah. we'd all just make sure we didn't go to a place that someone else was going. Yeah. But in the end, it kind of affected, it was to the detriment of running over here because the standard just really dropped. Yeah. And then in 2000, and just before, just after the London Olympics, we didn't qualify anyone in the Olympics for the Martin from Ireland. So a couple of guys got together and changed everything and basically got everyone in the room and said, you're hurting the sport. You need to race each other week in, week out. We're going to put a team together of all of you. We're going to support you, give you funding, give us altitude, tent, dietitians, all that sort of stuff. And within two years, we qualified 12 people for the next Olympics in the Martin. Wow. Wow. Were you you were part of that group because I know you were running with yeah. those guys, right? Yeah. yeah. So when you started to level up, like where was like the baseline commitments? Like, hey, I'm a runner to all of a sudden like I'm going pro. Because for me, it was, I don't know. I decided all of a sudden I was going to hire a running coach and I was hitting like 50 to 70 miles a week. Like I had to triple the amount of mileage that I was doing um, to get up there. Like there had to have been a level of commitment and you're like, I hit this certain point and it became the breaking point for me. Or like the tipping point for where I became a total beast. Yeah, I was looking up. I, there's a guy who doesn't live far from me who was a physio to you know, physio for Bolt and David Oliver and a lot of the top sprinters in the world. And I used to go to him and just very early, kind of when I was running, he said to me, "Have you got a coach?" And I said, "No." Nah. And he put me in touch with a guy, and I went to met him. And and just from the time I met him, he was kind of like. You need to give up all the other sports. You can actually be quite decent at this. So it was him that kind of put it in my head that if I actually dedicated myself to it, I could go somewhere. Tom, did so you was, say that uh, you, you started Gaelic football or Gaelic soccer? Yeah. Soccer. So growing up over here, that's that's the big thing in all the schools and up till kind of you're, you're an adult, you play Gaelic. I, I visited Ireland and we went to we went to one of those those games, the Hebes, the Hibs. Yeah. See? No, I don't know what the hell that is. Okay. Trash team. <laughs> Small town. Tom, what was that great sport that I was playing in your guys' yard and I was absolutely dominating in? The yeah, that's, ball sport. What, that's what Ryan is talking about, is hurling. Yeah, dude. Next champion. <laughs> next champion right here, dude. He's totally he's useless. Champion, I think he's hurling champion. He does it all, folks. Dude, I'm a cement wall moving through time and space. <laughs> Get anywhere near me, you're dead. <laughs> He hit like he hit like two parked cars, a couple of windows, <laughs> lost the lost the ball, 
What you're doing is you're aiming at the goal. I may make the most expensive thing that I can see. I want to see what damage I can cause. That's the kind of amateur move that you have. You got this big goal, big square. I'm aiming at car windows. They're about this big. You got it all wrong, buddy. So you obviously you doubled down and you know, how long was your the span of your running career? Like we're talking about I'm talking about real running career, not like, hey, I was a runner in high school. Like let's talk about when all of a sudden you started strapping up your shoes and daddy wasn't paying for the, the tickets anymore. Yeah, probably about ten years from when mm-hmm. I got like really competitive to kind of finish and finish just before COVID hit. What were your kind best of... sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. What were some of your like your proudest performances? Because I'm seeing this one thing that you posted up a 51 minute 10 miler, and then all of a sudden it goes to show you've got some um, the same uh, information about you shows you have really dog shit marathon times, which I don't assume is true. <laughs> but did you run a 51 uh, minute 10 miler? Yeah, in Ballycotton, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. mean that's pretty that's pretty hard in the paint. So like, what are you some of your like your peak performances where you're like that was like the race? Uh, I think the best race I ever had wasn't really a race. It was one of those things where you kind of mistimed peaking. And I had ran, it was St. Patrick's Day one year. I had ran 100 miles. Paddy's Day fell on a Sunday. I had already ran 100 miles that week. Uh, I ran into where the race was, was six miles from the house. So I ran to the race and then ran to the race 5K in like 1440 with felt like I was actually just jogging the thing. Didn't put any sort of effort into it. And then just ran through the finish line and ran the six miles home. Wow. And that's the one I always kind of look back and think if I had have actually properly raced that day or if I hadn't done 100 miles leading into it, that would have been a big performance. Yeah. That's wow. nuts. <laughs> yeah. 14-minute 5K? Yeah. yeah. I was training for a marathon at the time, so I was just more concentrating and just getting mileage, mileage, mileage. Mm-hmm. And then I had a good marathon one year where I kind of went out way too slow. I went out in 73.30 and came back in 70.30 for a 2.24. And I kind of left that a bit behind on the day. If I had it went a bit harder in the first half, I think I could have ran something decent that day. Fuck, man. But these are My- all the... When you're finished, you, get, you have all the what-if moments, don't you? What if I had yeah. it on this? What if I had it on that? Mm-hmm. Right when I started to peak my running career, I found TMX and it totally pivoted my, my training style. Like I was, I was running the best race I ever ran was the Mount Boney trail race it was part of the Xterra series. And in the middle of a 13.6 mile race with 30 something, 3,600 feet of climbing, um, I ran a 1454 5k two of the miles were downhill and the last mile was flat. And like, listen, I went downhill, but I still covered the ground. And like, I had it like deep in my watch, like new PR. And I've never felt that way before. And then shortly thereafterwards, within like three months, they introduced the TMX platform, which was the one mile uh, championship from Tough Mudder. And that's the, when fitness racing, like our style of racing kind of was really started. It was now like, you know, you were, you were not just like running, but you were doing obstacles and then you were doing a fitness station. And I was like, this is so much cooler than just jogging all the time. And I will never forget that day. Like you feel like a God and you look back on it and you're like, wow, that is crazy. (laughs) That's so nuts, dude. That's such a, it's such an amazing feeling. Like I will say running is probably the weakest I've ever felt. And it's like, it's everything else in your life. Like if a child decided to kidnap you, there's nothing you could do (laughs) like you're that weak. But when you are running at that level where it's like this effortlessness of just moving through time and space so quickly, it's incredible. You feel so high. Yeah. There's no feeling like it. Yeah. I definitely never replicated in the gym or anything like that. Yeah. It is so good, dude. Especially when you're running. Yeah. Running on grass, like cross-country t- style, running fast. Oh, my God. And, like, hearing the splash, like, hitting puddles and shit, and you're just ricocheting out of them. So, I mean, obviously, you did that for a while. COVID hit, and, uh, you know, your love letter business, um, your side hustle was probably, uh, you know, it was booming because people wanted love letters in the middle of COVID to keep their, their spirits high, correct? Wait, oh, what yeah. is this love letter business? Oh, Tom, Tom writes handwritten letters, and <laughs> – 
he puts lipstick on and kisses every single one of them <laughs> and he mails the people. That's what this warehouse is, dude. There's a bunch of people back there with just kissing, kissing cars <laughs> just kissing, just kissing things all day. You get lipstick for free and you just put a smacker on it and then send it out. Yeah. All, it's like only fans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> only for the Irish the Irish version. Hand handwritten Irish style. Uh, yeah. What's your business, Tom? Everyone's actually pretty curious. No, it's actually white and stationary that Hunter's talking about. Okay. So you have like really nice handwriting. No, I don't uh, handwrite any of it. It's all just printed. It's, it's uh, we have loads of different designs and things. All right, so people just pick the designs, and so we do lots of different printing. Basically, all sort of digital lithographic printing. We do T-shirts, we do hoodies, we do all that sort of stuff. Screen printing, vinyl. Speaking of that, we uh, we helped out High Rocks big time recently in a pinch. So um, anybody who's listening to this from the executive team, you guys owe us big time. <laughs> Yo, Tommy Hogan, big time, dude. And we don't we don't run business like normal guys. We're crooks. I'll cane your knees the next time I see you. <laughs> you owe me a dollar. That's... I need a massive stand with the next High Rocks. Dude, everybody knows that the Irish Mafia is way worse than every other version of Mafia. Tom oh, will yeah. chop you up and put your body into these letters and ship them around the country. They'll never <laughs> find you. <laughs> so, you know, obviously, like, you, know, you hit that peak point with your running and COVID hit, kind of put that to a little bit of a stop. Where did you find High Rocks? Because High Rocks is one of these kind of things where it originated over in, you know, the European region, started to pick mm -hmm. up in the UK, came to the United States. Where did it first come on your radar? Yeah, so the what year the COVID hit? Like that was like 2020, 2020. was it? So in 2019, I just started getting injury after injury after injury. Every time I come back, I get injured again. My hips are always sore. Stop for a month, come back, hips are sore again. And I went and got MRIs, and I was told I had the thing called vascular necrosis, which basically means the top of my femur is dead and is decaying little by little every day. So I can't do high mileage anymore i can't do things simple things i can't sit for long periods that's the big that's actually by far the worst thing how but bad I can't did it do... suck when we were driving around the country it's so bad it's <laughs> <laughs> in agony every single day my back too but, but there's no there's no fixing it i can get a hip replacement but that's not going to make me run any better than i can run right now so so i was basically told you can keep competing but you gotta ease back a lot after running so after thinking about it i wasn't prepared to do races and get beat by people that i know i could beat i just wasn't into that i wasn't into just racing age group things i didn't want to do that if i want to compete i'm going to compete at the highest level or i'm not going to do it so i was looking for something different i looked into crossfit i quickly found out that i can't do gymnastics for shit so that wasn't going to work those damn jimmies. Yeah. And then I found Hyrox online. And myself and Dina went in March 2020, right before COVID hit. We went to Hanover and did a doubles. We sucked at it. I think we were like 103, 102, 50 or something like that. I could barely move the sled. I weighed I weighed 69 kilos from from the years of running. So the sled killed me, the lunges killed me, and I came back from that and thought, I'm not going to leave it at that. I need to actually do a decent one of these before I quit it. You know, so the, first time I ever raced, the first time I ever raced you, I probably weighed about 30K more than you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so That's I just nuts. basically spent lockdown eating. I just ate for all of lockdown. This is, so it's the opposite of the potato famine. Are you hearing me? Yeah. It was the opposite of the potato famine. It was like almost like you had a surplus of potatoes. I had to eat like so many potatoes every day. Like three sacks of potatoes daily. <laughs> to and that's put on how, extra weight. So this is, it's called the potato plan. If I can follow this, like I can have a body like good old Tommy Hogan. Yeah. yeah. So what you're saying is, Tom, you don't follow the keto diet. No, no. <laughs> Only eat carbs. Carbs only. What's that? What's that humming sound? What's that noise? Is that me? 
All right, we're good now. We've lost Hunter's uh, sound. Yeah. Hey. Your sound's off, bud. Mm -mm. You still got it off. You, I, I see you. You've muted yourself. You got the. You got the. Hang on. I just unmuted your mic. Am I better? Yeah, yeah, you're on now. How do you work with this amateur every week, Lane? Uh, it, it's tough. He pays Listen. me in peanuts, but uh, I like it. That's right, dude. And free That's trips right. across the country. I'll take it, honestly. That's right. What are you guys talking about? He's been to California like three or four times since I met yeah. him. It's a good life, <laughs> Hogan. Yeah, piece of trash. Quit, quit bad-mouthing us. Head operations for this business. So... When did you like, when did you all of a sudden recognize that you were going to be good at this thing? Cause listen, everybody I talk to contacts me. They're like, I ran a simulation in my garage and I set the world record. And I'm like, that's great. Like, that's great that your, your mom helped you stack together some like milk jugs on top of a sled and, you know, gave you like a tennis ball to practice wall balls with and stuff. But um, when you get into the real thick of it, you're going to die. When did you realize you're like, I can come compete. Well, they had the VCF thing during lockdown. Yep. So they had those virtual things, and I yep. did those. And I kind of knew by the shape and the look of people that I'd be better runner than most of them. Like, I didn't believe. I'd seen sometimes online the people were posting. I, I actually just flat out kind of said, no, they didn't do that. Yeah. You know, I can beat these people in a race. Plus, I seen you were at the top of the sport, and I thought, how hard can this shit be? Yeah. Look at this yep. guy. <laughs> when you look at pictures of me where you're like man i could beat that guy with my hands tied behind my back or did you recognize you're you're in deep water because you saw such a spe specimen such like a thick piece of fine ham but, so the, actually the first time i ever saw you was on what do you call it broken school yeah i hadn't been watching it but my father had been watching it and he actually came to me and said there's a guy winning that thing i guarantee you'd beat him <laughs> <laughs> well your dad was wrong <laughs> dad was wrong yeah and just uh, too old 32 year old tom would be 32 year old hunter where's that rap scallion mr hogan i'm gonna give him a i'm gonna <laughs> give him a speaking to so you know was it was it through the virtual championship that you qualified for world championships yeah so even at that i, I don't think i so i finished second in the virtual championships i was robbed over to who? Because I didn't film, I didn't film the date at the start of the workout. I filmed that at the end of the workout. So to give me a penalty because they said that wasn't the rule. You're supposed to show the date before the workout. Oh. So I got like a penalty. I got pushed back into second, and who's the CrossFit guy? He ended up coming first. Friesen, Marcus Friesen. No, no, no. The the German he has guy. The gym. He has the gym. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's a great guy. What was the penalty? In high for high rocks, I think it was like a three minute penalty because I because I showed the time or the date after the event rather than before the event. Huh. So JFit wants to know what your two mile run was for the um for the virtual contest. Nine fifty. That's baller. You know, Alec Ronkovic posted he like ran like an eight thirty. I, at the time when, when he said that, I actually looked it up and it would have been an Austrian national record. So <laughs> he would have been the, fa the second fastest European ever behind Mo Farah, I think. I got to put so, a beat. Maybe Ronkovic is just really shitty at stations. Super <laughs> shitty at stations. And he's like, God, when it comes to running. Yeah. Yeah. And I did that 950, like in the pissings of rain wind howling in february in ireland it was very unfair that people were like in la running in the sun and i was out in shitty shitty weather getting don't beat up don't get yourself into deep water over here bad mouth in <laughs> la all right that's where that's where your patron saint lives um yeah so i mean all of a sudden you show up to uh high rocks world championships you're on the big stage and obviously what what did you compete at how well did you do at um world championships in 2021 i think it was like ninth and would you get like, in 2022 yes <laughs> yeah there you go improvement <laughs> that's it that's what we're looking for 
But I, I got a bit of a shock, to be fair, in Leipzig in the first one. I See, I had never done a high rocks on my own. I'd only ever done the doubles with Dina, so I had no idea with the pro weights or bar doing a bit at home. I, and I got, I got shocked by, by how hard it actually was. I think it was so like 104 or something like that. Your first ever race individually was ninth in the world at World Championships. Wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> impressive. That's awesome. <laughs> and were you the oldest guy there? Yeah. Uh, Tiago was close to me, but I was a couple of months older than I think. Tiago Lausa from Portugal. Remember the little small guy. Are you talking about the, the guy that took third that somehow – um, like like a ghost, like like just like disappeared and and gained some <laughs> extra laps. Yeah, that's it. Listen to this day, I'm not buying this shit. I don't think it's your fault, Tiago. But Christ Almighty, you did not take third place at World Championships. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that's that's very very impressive. You know, oldest dude, bum hip. Um, you know, with a side hustle of writing love letters. I mean, you probably have the most impressive story of everybody there. No one ever lets me uh, forget that I'm the oldest guy there. Well, every I mean, time it's... I do something with high rocks, it's like tell us your age. <laughs> well, I mean it's impressive, dude. When you go to world championships, Kent and I are both in our thirties, and then it went like uh, Ronkovich, who I think is like young thirties, if not like late twenties, yeah. and then Tim, which is like Tim's like ten. Um. And then, like, it's a, it's a pretty young sport. Like, you're a decade older than I am almost. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty I keep impressive. telling you that's the only reason you're beating me. 100%. There has dude. to be some sort of equation where, if you like you do for altitude but running, if you take 10 years off, how fast will I be kind of thing. Dude, I'm going to be so ripped and buffed by the time I'm your age, dude. I literally could walk outside. I wouldn't need an axe anymore. I'd just pull trees out of the ground with my bare hands. <laughs> run through the mountains like a bronco you know it's gonna happen everyone's like old age is hitting you dude i'm 33 i'm the fittest i've ever been i'm sure there's going to be diminishing returns probably around 70 (laughs) (laughs) so obviously we we had a great time that night we got drunk in a parking lot um at what point did you recognize you're like this guy and i should be business partners uh, to, at the point where we were the only two who were willing to like get a party started, everyone else was happy to like go to bed at nine o'clock with one drink, and we were like, "Oh hell no, let's get to the supermarket, buy a shitload of cheap warm beer, and drink it in the parking lot." And that's exactly how that's exactly how an international business has started, ladies and gentlemen. You guys are reading all these books. And uh, watching all these master classes with all these hack job billionaires, it starts in a parking lot with a cheap party rack of uh, yeah. Polaner beer. And yeah, letting you guys I was, know right now, I was almost sold then. But when you came running naked through the car park later that night, that was that sealed it. I was like, "Yep, he's the guy to work he's with." He's my guy. That's it. He's my guy That's right it, there. Dude. That was a lot of fun, dude. That was so much fun. <laughs> I um. I honestly, that hangover lasted about two months. <laughs> yeah, because it was continuous. It was one of those kind of things where I just kept on keeping the cup full. <laughs> the hangover didn't really hit until later on yeah. down the line, but it did hit. So the, the, the party, the 2001 party in a parking lot with warm beer topped the 2022 party in Vegas with DJ Khaled. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> they wouldn't let me into that party, by the way. I heard so. that you know our ticket. I I qualified for worlds, and the ticket, you know, specifically said that being a high rocks athlete, you had your own entry, and you know you you got it comped. But from what I heard, that you stood in the same line as everyone else, and the line was three hours long. Yep. Wow. Yeah. We got in and then got kicked out again. I was the world champion, and they they wouldn't even <laughs> let me in. <laughs> Like this piece of trash is out of here. It's crazy. We went, we we got in the queue, and then I said, No, we're not getting in the queue. No way. We'll go down for a drink. Met Christian on one of the escalators. He said, Come with me. He brought us up to the very front, got us in past security, and then Dina got asked for ID. Didn't have it with her because she hasn't had one in like 20 years, and they refused entry. 
son of a bitch, dude. <laughs> so, obviously, like, you've obviously had a really decorated career in athletics, and uh, you have an established business. Uh, what's the next chapter for Tom Hogan now? Because, you know, obviously old age is coming after you kind of like, uh, there's blood in the water and the sharks are starting to circle. Um, are you going to continue on with high rocks? Are you going to continue to push your love letter industry? Are you going to become a, um, supplement billionaire? Like what's the next step? Supplement billionaire sounds nice. It does sound nice. I could take that one. It is a plush lifestyle. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I do would... High Rocks for this season. If I get to the Elite 15 this year, that'll be the end of competing on my own. And I'll just do things with Dina then for a bit of fun, I think. We'll jump into doubles every now and again. And I actually do like the High Rocks races, just being around them, pushing yep. Builder and stuff like that. So that's the plan going forward. It is growing so quickly over there. And yeah. it's it's pretty mind blowing. Um, well, maybe a- me and you will have to do doubles again if Mr. Weenish and or Vinish and Michelle. That's the only <laughs> thing that could take me out of retirement is if Tim Winish and Michael Sandwich, Michelle Sandwich, try to um, really keep on tooting their horns. I'm gonna twist them up like a pretzel and I'll put them on top of my sled because the weight's not heavy enough for me. They're going this week, and I just. On my phone, there something just popped in from Tim. He just sent me a message about something. I guarantee it's about that. Really? He's probably he listening into this right now, biting his fingernails, being like, <laughs> I'm going to get them so bad. <laughs> it's all right, dude. I hope you do well. It's not that I don't want you to do well, but it'd be, I, you'd be a fool to think that I'm going to sit here and just passively let you pass my record. Not going to happen, <laughs> brother. Um. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today was Ironman. And I think it's interesting to talk to you because you had done so many different sports. Like you weren't like the guy who got into Ironman and become, became a dedicated Ironman person. How did you find triathlons and what was your approach to training for them? And then how did you discover Ironman and decide you wanted to get into that? I I had done a lot of years mountain running. I ran for Ireland a lot doing that and on top of all the marathons and things, I just wanted to change one year. I just thought I've done marathons, mountain running every year for the last five or six years. Dana had done a couple Ironman in Roth in Germany, and we always had a good time there. So I just kind of thought for a change this year, not for the whole year, I'll just dedicate a couple of months to Ironman, do one of those, and just tick it off the list. Which one did Ironman you do? Done. Uh, Roth in Germany. It's the biggest biggest mass participation one in the world yeah and what was your time uh, 9.50 or 9.51 break it down with me um yeah what was your swim i swam i think i exited the transition around the 70 minutes so i think my swim was like 66 67 minutes that's great And and then i was out in around 70 and what was your bike uh, almost bang on to five hours. Awesome. And your marathon had to be Mar- two. No, that's where it all, it all went to shit. Yeah. That's where, yeah. That's where everything went to shit. This is uh, what I what I do actually hope you find. <laughs> so everyone I told kind of said to me leading into it, ah, sure, all you got to do is get through the bike. You know, you're going to piss. I don't think I ever ran a marathon slower than like 240 in my life, even in training. So I kind of had it in my head I could do nine hours. And getting off that bike in five hours, I thought, I'm definitely going to do nine hours. Like, this is going to be simple. I only got to run, like, 250. And I have it done. And I ran the first 13 miles in, like, 81 or 82 minutes. And Dean and all the family were at halfway. I actually stopped to take a picture with the boys. I gave Tess a hug. I thought, this is the easiest thing in the world. I'm just pissed through nine hours in my first one and never have to do another one again. And about 500 meters after passing the family, someone just flicked the switch and gone, totally gone. No more energy, no mm. nothing. I just basically crawled, dragged myself, walked. You wouldn't even call it running for the last 13 miles. It was just wow. hell. Yeah, Were you so across the, uh, the finish line. Pardon? Were you crawling across the finish line? Yeah, no, did you I kind of I, I got into a little kind of I don't know you wouldn't again it wasn't running it was just like a shuffle kind of a thing oh, because in in road to build like a stadium for the finish line is so you have a couple of thousand people in there shouting and screaming at you so 
I put on the show for them and like got up to like a 12 minute mile. <laughs> so how did you prepare for this thing? Like how did you originally prepare for it versus how you would prepare for it now if you wanted to break that nine hour mark? Well, when I started, I couldn't swim. So I did a lot of swimming. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm, never, I couldn't swim. I'm never swimming, by the way. I couldn't swim like two lengths of the pool. So I you actually can't... joined a club to actually learn how to swim. That kind you of can't see how good looking I am if my head's in the water. So that's why I never <laughs> spend time swimming. Don't do it. <laughs> Children only. You did a lot of swimming. And I did a lot of biking because I thought I don't need to do much running. So I biked a lot. We used to get up at like 3.30 a.m. on week weekends. And well, it was all on turbo trainers. We never really went out on the roads. One, the weather is not great here. Two, the roads are shit. And three, we actually had a friend in the club who was killed off his bike kind of a year before that. Mm. So there was kind of a feeling in the club of it was kind of safer to be in. So we get up at 3.30 and do like six-hour turbos indoors, upstairs in the house every single week. So I was probably logging 200 miles a week on the bike, uh, four swims a week, and wasn't really doing much running unless it was off the bike. I'd always run off, off the bike every time I was on it. So that was kind of the whole training. This sounds so miserable. We're training very differently right now. Um <laughs> I mean, so how would you change it if you if you could pick up the running? What would you? Is there anything like you think it was yeah. just experience, uh, nutrition? I'd put a lot more. I'd put a lot more emphasis on nutrition. The, yeah. the, anyone that asks me now what's an Ironman, I I tell them it's an eating competition. Yeah, that's that's all it is because after four hours of on the move, your body just doesn't want to eat anymore, and it's yeah. four. You're actually force feeding yourself after that. And it's so, the discipline. It's the discipline to say, right, I need 500 calories every hour, and to actually start shoving that into your mouth while you feel sick. Are you eating a bunch of gels on this, or or is it like actual whole food? No, I I did made like on the bike. I had sandwiches and bananas, and I had like uh, peanut butter little ball things because they're high in calories and stuff like that. I had carbohydrates from my drinks. But Ryan, I never you shut really... your damn mouth or I'll slap you in the face the next time I see you. Sorry, <laughs> we got a sassy client. Um, but I never really put the emphasis on it in training. You know, I never really thought too much about it. It was kind of like, oh, it's two weeks before the race. What am I going to eat? Exact kind of thing. Interestingly enough, so now that you're, uh, you're a founding partner in a supplement company, it's interesting, like, what were you guys doing back when you were doing all these marathons and stuff? Like, what were you guys taking in for hydration? Did anybody talk to you guys about electrolytes? Like, like now Water. that you know what you know now, like what, what's, Water. are you kind of like, Oh shit, I wish, or are you just like, I, I don't give a damn. I just run on water. Yeah, no, I wish we had, a, had the knowledge back then. It was just water. Basically just drank water. You might take a gel at 30 miles in the marathon and that would have been it. Yeah, it was just water. Every water station, usually a water station every three to four miles. And it wouldn't have even been like, oh, I'm going to drink this much water. It would have been just wash your mouth out with a couple of mouthfuls of water and throw it away and on you go. I, my protocol is every 10 to 15 minutes, I'm drinking out of my water bottle and I'm trying to finish a water bottle every hour. And I have a scoop of builder in it. Every 30 minutes, I'm taking in a solid gel, usually like Morton, something that's a little bit heavier or like down like a whole clip shot block system, which I think has like around 200 calories in it. And once I get tired of eating, I've got that boa spray and I'm hitting boa in my mouth if I just like don't feel like eating anymore. That's my rotation. That's my rotation right now. And I have not like come anywhere close to bonking. And... um I don't know. I mean, like I, I honestly was getting really, really into my Ironman training and then my bike died and uh, someone assassinated it. There was like a sniper up in the hills and he's like, kill it. And it just again, get his bike. ripped it out of the back of the car and smashed it on the highway. And um, I was on old blue yesterday doing a two hour ride and old blue and a two hour ride is an ugly day. Um, 
Alejandro sucks ass. It's going to suck to do my Ironman on that thing, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to run like a 13 minutes, um, ha- uh, marathon at the end. You're not going to do it on that though, are you? I don't know what to do, man. Like, here's the thing. This Ironman for th- me, like so many people are like, just go buy a new bike. I'm like, listen, I'm not spending five to $15,000 on a new bike. Like this was a hobby project. I'm not an Ironman athlete. I'm actually getting into paddling and I've always used my off season to do really extreme things to keep me motivated and just encourage myself to keep on doing the volume that it takes to be a champion. So I was like, why not do an Ironman? Great way to just tackle volume. It's just off season, spread it out, do some swimming, do some biking, do some running. And now I'm just like catching myself withering away. Like if a big bird came down and saw me in my backyard, it could probably pick me up and take me away like a baby. I'm like, no help. Like there's nothing I could do. I'm withering away. And the fact that like my bike died, like, I'm just like, you know what? Maybe this is just a sign from Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, Hunter, why don't you just take a chill pill? <laughs> so, so the two, the two Ironman lighted, I didn't have a decent bike either. I trained yeah. on a piece of shit. And then about two or three weeks before, I actually bought a bike online, finished the <laughs> race, and instantly sold the bike again. I yeah. did that twice. <laughs> I'm not going to go through that process. Like, I literally, today, from Germany, is arriving my, my paddling boat. I spent $5,000 on my boat. I spent another $1,500 on my boat rack. I'm not, I don't, I don't need to spend more money on any more toys. All right. Like it's what about a, renting it out then? I, re- I rented that, one for half Ironman in, in Mallorca before. I got like a 10 grand Trek bike for, I think it was 90 pounds for the day or something. I may do that and try to arrange it. My only fear is, is like, I'm not, do you not feel comfortable? Like I'm not training in the tuck position. I just don't want to end up in this position where I'm like in the tuck and all of a sudden I haven't trained for it and I forget where my brakes are and I just die. Yeah. Well, that would fuck your back up if you haven't trained down mm. on the bars. Like the, yeah. your back just gets sore down there. Yeah. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put the volume in. I'm basically kind of running about 30 to 40 miles a week and I'm doing about hundred to 150 miles of biking and I'm doing one swim. My body's shaped like a torpedo, so I don't need to swim, swim that much. So have you shaved your legs yet? No, dude. So I was looking up there before I got on. This is done by Specialized. So over 40 kilometers, shaving your legs will save 15 watts of power, which equates to 79 seconds. So over 160 kilometers, 180 kilometers, sorry. That's like five and a half minutes. <laughs> I don't free, doubt it. I'm gonna free time. I'm gonna start shaving it. I mean, dude, if I had my mullet still, I probably, I probably like be a like, 15 hour Ironman. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. Um, so yeah, I got to figure this all out at this point. Like right when I'm done here, today's a weightlifting day. I got to get off. Like I, I'm tired of doing cardio, so I'm gonna eat like a bunch of beef jerky lift some weights and then swim this afternoon. And then tomorrow is a big endurance thing. I'm going to wake up early in the morning and I'm going to go out. I'm going to do a two hour bike and do a one hour run. Um, and like, I'm just piecing it together. All I have to do is fuck up Kyle. Like Kyle's my buddy. I want to break 10 hours, but I'm literally going to be out there like Rambo. Like I'm going to come in like from behind. He's not going to know it. And I'm just going to, yeah, as long as you're over ten, over nine fifty, that's all I'm looking for. No, Tom, I'm I need to rob, slow you down. I'm gonna rob even that from you. I need to slow you down. Yeah. First of all, I want to give a shout out to um, Specialized is actually trying to help me find a bike right now. So shout out to them for trying to put something together and help me find a bike. Um, the other shout out I'm gonna say is to uh, Sailfish Wetsuits. They sent me a ton of gear. Like I'm basically my wetsuit is I take a bunch of paper towels and I put it in my shorts and stuff. That's my version of insulation. Like it's just ghetto what my setup is. So they sent me some stuff. Um, other than that, like, you know, I don't know. I don't have any shout outs. I don't have any shoe partner or anything like that, but I'm excited. What shoe will you wear? Um, you know, see if you wear a carbon shoe and call them bullshit on your time compared to my time. Did you, did you see carbon didn't, carbon didn't exist when I was running these things. Well, hear me out for a second. Did you see the article that just came out about this Gustav guy that set the world record? for um he set the marathon world record and he set the ironman world championship record so yeah dude he ran a 236 and that company on sponsored him it there's a rule in the world athletic federation something like that you can't have a 40 millimeter plus stack and he did 
Mm. And like, even in his article, he's like, dude, when I was running downhill, it felt like I was like being like pushed downhill. Mm. So these shoes are just getting so crazy. A 40 millimeter stack. That's, that's bigger than the average penis. (laughs) Um, It's it's just, it's huge. If you look at him running and you actually look down, dude, it looks like those like platform shoes that they used to wear in the disco era. It's crazy. Some people are getting like a minute over five Ks and all in them. It's actually yeah. mental. I mean, listen, I'll be totally honest. Like, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. But at the same time, it's like, it'd be like competing in bodybuilding where uh, steroids are illegal. Like, you'd be such an idiot to try to stand on stage next to guys that are all gassed up and be like, it's not fair. Just like, shut your mouth and play a different sport then. Like, yeah. I, I set my world record in a non-carbon shoe, but then I raced world championships in a carbon shoe. Um, but I don't. I don't think it makes much difference for Hyrox. I don't with the turning and and twisting and they're only good in straight lines. Basically, you need a long more straight challenging. line. It's more yeah. challenging. I tell everybody this. I'm like, it, it's going to be more challenging for your wall balls, your burpees. Like everything just, is just awkward in them. But at the same <laughs> time, like I, I felt good, so I just went with it. I tested every shoe like a hundred times. Mm. So. I guess the other thing that I want to chat about is world domination with builder. Um, I'm going to go through a run through here. Um, and I'm actually polishing up a conversation that I'm going to work on with a, a nutritional scientist who is going to help us kind of really open up the conversation of the difference between BCAs, EAAs, um, eating a piece of steak or chicken and protein powder. Um, but I just kind of want to ask your, your level of understanding of like sports nutrition, how you got into interested in wanting to work in this and what you want to see a company like builder do for the athletic community. Like what are your goals and ambitions? Cause I have mine, but obviously I think it's cool to hear about your position and what you want to do in the industry. I just want to make a shitload of money. There you go. That's right, dude. That's right. Dude. Good for you. No point telling all these people lies. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding around. I want to give a great product and make a shit ton of money. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or that. Or yeah. That. Well, I mean, listen, my passion truly is formulation. Like I'm coming up with our second product right now. And I've been like just passing things around and studying it. Like I, Tom, Tom's the business side of things. And maybe he's, he's making a joke, but he is a really good businessman. I'm the kind of guy who's the, um, the geek behind it all and wanting to see different products. And the reason why I got into this industry is because all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working with this product company right here and I work with them for years. And then all of a sudden I start to wise up and I recognize that one can of their product has like one sixth of the amount of, of ingredients that one scoop of my product has. And I was like, this doesn't do anything. This doesn't do anything at all. And you got other brands that are trying to push essential amino acids and all these kind of things. And there's nothing wrong with any one product, but it's the question of how right it is for you. And Builder, our motto is building better athletes. We want you guys to have the best athletic experience out there. We're making products so that if all of a sudden you decide to go do a high rocks, a marathon, a triathlon, that our product is the right product for your journey. You don't have to take five scoops of our product. One scoop will get you to the finish line faster. And the reason why I'm doing all this research on essential amino acids versus branched amino acids is because I want people to understand like, Originally, I got into this because I recognize I can't just be stuffing chicken breasts down my mouth while we're training for Ironmans like this. Like you, you can't do it in the gym. You can't do it anywhere. You also need the time to digest it, like all of these things. So then all of a sudden you supplement your lifestyle. Ideally, we're getting all of our nutrition and we're perfectly sitting in a little Petri dish, getting food handed to us and someone's rubbing our back while we're eating and everything. But that just doesn't happen in athletics. You get the miles in where you can and you do the best that you can with the time that you have. And then the question is whether or not you get down to your supplements and uh, basically it's like, Hey, we have this option and we have this option. Now the marketing for this company right here is really convincing, but you don't even really look at the science behind it at all. You just really like the pictures and the hot chick that's putting it in her water bottle and running away. And you can see her butt cheeks jiggling. You're like, man, that's the product for me. We need that. We need that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the thing that I want to convince people of, and I, I think, um, you know, maybe I'm going on a rant here is not all products are created equal. 
And I think that if you really want to be the best version of yourself, you shouldn't just look at the training uh, that you're doing. You should look at the things that are fueling you to get to the finish line. And much like Tom said, it, uh, the fourth leg of Ironman, it goes swim, bike, run, food. Food's the fourth leg. And that also includes your hydration and all other aspects. So make sure that, um, you know, you find a good company like ours to help support you get to the finish line faster and in better shape. So, you know, more coming on guys. Um, also, you know, Tom, thank you for setting up our, our third flavor now in Europe, which is available. Very exciting stuff. Yeah. I think the trap a lot of people fall into with sports, especially if they're younger, is kind of this attitude of, but sure, I'm doing well without it. You know, why do I need supplements? I'm doing, I'm doing okay as I am, but they don't actually realize, well, yeah, you're doing okay. But if you want to actually push to the next level or step up again, you do need it. Yep. And I've I've had those conversations with people. I had a conversation with a guy in Basel who wins uh, the Open and the High Rocks all the time. And he was like, yeah, but I'm winning without it. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, but maybe you'll break a world record or win even more convincingly with it. So You're I think well a lot of people a, fall uh, into that. You, you haven't broke that world record yet, have you, bud? Yeah. A lot Dude, of people t- fall into that trap. I mean, tell him to put his ego aside and come race with, at the pro division. <laughs> what the hell is that? I think I might have said that to him, too. <laughs> yeah. That's like saying you're the best guy in the junior varsity team. That's okay. <laughs> you're you're swimming in a pond that's about this big when there's an ocean right next door. <laughs> you know what I mean? Come come into the deep end of the pool with a big fish. Um, I think as people get older, like like I did, they kind of realize the need for these things to prolong athletic performance. When you're in your early 20s, yeah, you can get by on a mouthful of water and fucking nothing else. But as the years go on, that doesn't work anymore. Like as you get older and older, you need things. You need you need supplements to make you better and keep you going the way you were going. I remember a Spartan race. Um, uh, I don't know if it was a championship or not, but we raced in South Carolina and we had cooked steak and baked potatoes, uh, sweet potatoes the night before I woke up the morning of the race, like 60 minutes before the race, I ate half of a steak and a whole baked potato. If I tried to do that now, before (laughs) I even going out for a 30 minute jog, I throw up and poop my pants. (laughs) Like it's just different. Like, and I know it sounds ridiculous. I'm not trying to make myself sound weak. It just, yeah, you can get away with almost anything when you're younger. I used to be able to drink like 30 beers and run through brick walls. Now I have like two glasses of wine a night and I'm like, ah, like the next day. Two day hangover, <laughs> elephants sitting on your head. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell is going on? But Tom and I will continue to bring the best products to the market that we possibly can. If you are interested and you are listening to this show and you live in the UK, European region, Tom is going to be the guy who's handling it. And that's builder. Uh, builder bldr international.com and then if you're interested in getting our products here in the united states it's buildersports.com um so you guys can make sure you'll see us at events like you know and if you need support questions on to get how to get ready for event using our product just shoot us a dm and like we'll obviously help you out um let's see if i can just answer some of these questions as we're going through one of them was uh, from brian j asking would hunter consider competing if he was given a guarantee for entry to the high rocks elite 15 um i consider it like i'm not trying to diminish the athletic community here but i'm trying to get into paddling and the qualifications for world championships um i think it's really challenging and like i have to speak like openly now and i'm just going to speak as loudly as i can because i got nothing to lose the material of the sleds and a couple of the course designs compare it from Europe compared to the United States is so drastically different that I think that a lot of the best athletes in the world are actually here in the United States and the likelihood that they'll qualify because of how different it is, is going to make it very slim. Like there's all these dudes that I'm racing against in Europe that that I would run a 55 in the United States and they'd run a 65 in, in the United States in comparison to me. But you know, all of a sudden their qualifying time was was only like two minutes behind my qualifying time. I think all the people that broke under, I other than, um, other than what's his face, uh, God damn it, other than Ryan Kent, nobody broke sixty minutes in the United States. And then all of a sudden, we 
Like Tom, you broke sixty minutes last year, didn't you? No, no, no. Uh, all was, the six, all the sub sixties were in Maastricht. I wasn't in Maastricht. What was your sixty eighteen? What'd you get? Yeah, that was in like Frankfurt. Yeah. Okay, but you were in a sixty eighteen. What was your finishing time at World Championships? I think it was like one hundred four or one hundred three. One hundred three. Yeah, and I ran a fifty seven. So, like, not trying to badmouth you by any means, but I'm just showing you guys this humongous difference. And the reason that I I I just like I, I'm not gonna train here for it. So my qualification time would have to be like a 57 minute or better. And I know what I have to do to get into 57 minute shape. And I'm not gonna do it to get there until I'm I need to. So I unless don't know. you do the, you could do the U.S. Championships though. I don't know if the, I'm gonna do it because you also have to qualify for U.S. Championships. Yes, that is true. Top 15 times to qualify for that. Yeah. So I'm not going to do I'm not There was do a that. debate over here on um, one of the podcasts or something. Should the world champions get uh, entry to the following year? And I think the poll was fairly unanimous and they said that they should get entry the following year if they wanted it. Yeah. Well, I'd add to that you probably have to do one race the following year, even not for a time, but just to show up to, if you want the qualification, you'd have to do something. Just do one race somewhere. Yeah, I don't mind running in circles and stuff, but just like, you know, I I don't know. I The Olympics that I'm going to try to qualify for in 2024, I can always come back to High Rocks. Olympics is next. Olympics is in 2028, and it's going to be in home turf in L.A. So to me, my athletic career would be the culminating moment would be qualifying for the Olympics. And like I could die at that point. I'd be like, what else are you going to? You know, like, you know, all of a sudden a laser beam is going to come down. The aliens are going to pick only me up. They're like, he's the one. We want him. <laughs> we'll bring him to paradise. All you other fucking idiots, you stay here. <laughs> Driving your Teslas looking like puss in boots. Um, whereas I, they'll beam me up in my Bronco that's not uh, smog certified, and I'll just soar into the sky all happy. Like, goodbye, everybody. I did it. So... I don't know. That's like just saying it right now makes me so happy. When I say going to High Rocks World Championships 2023, not diminishing anybody's goals, I just it doesn't it doesn't uh, flip my light switch the way everything else used to. I think you'd be there. What's that? I think you'd be there. I mean, I talk this shit every single year, and I always show up. <laughs> All I have to do is just hear from Tim Winnish or uh, another one of these guys that piss me <laughs> off. All I need to hear is a couple podcasts, like of some dude who's going to run like someone's going to break my world record, and it's going to be absolute bullshit, and that's going to piss me off beyond belief. Yeah, of course it's going to be over mm-hmm. in Europe. They're going to be like, "Oh, we forgot to put all the plates on, but it's still it's still a verified time." <laughs> well, they actually they actually put an extra plate on last weekend, gone in Birmingham. People were giving out about it. So on the pull, they said now that the sleds are lighter than the sleds used to be. They no longer yeah. weigh 35 kilos or whatever they were. So yeah. they actually put an extra plate onto the pull to make up for that. Up for the sled. I don't yeah. think it's the actual weight of the sled. I, I just don't get it's It's the friction of the carpet and, and the skis. The stack height. The stack height is a big thing. On my carpet at home in my gym, yeah. if I put 250 kilos of bumper plates, I won't move it. But if I put, say, 100 kilos of bumper plates, and then I put 150 kilos of dumbbells on there, it's still 250, but I can push that easy. But when no. the stack height is up, I can't push it. Well, you got to understand, I mean, also, if you start to tip it, it will lean the fo- weight forward and stuff. Like, I think in Europe, you got, we, we do completely uh, that high composite plate that's thick. Yeah, in we Europe, have you guys the iron like two, And then you do iron. Yeah, it's all different. It, it, it's all yeah. different. And we're just sitting here looking like we're bitching and moaning, but like someone's <laughs> got to keep on saying it. Otherwise it's never going to get better. Mm. So yeah, there's no reason it couldn't be the same plates in fairness. Like that's yeah. a simple fix. Yeah. Um, Tom, uh, where do we see you next? I mean, I'm assuming I'm going to see you in a week. You're flying down here. <laughs> yeah. Yo, Ryan, Ryan. You two need to, you guys need to um, link up your times. You need to get your ticket into here get a car so you guys can all come down here together. How far yeah, is it down? Yeah, we've exchanged messages. I just was working on one other thing yesterday, and now oh. today is book the flight day. <laughs> day. A lot of stuff going on in this household. <laughs> <laughs> what have we got, like a two-hour 30 drive? 
Yeah, but it's all on the coastline. All you're going to be seeing is girls in bikinis and uh, rays of sunshine. Things that you don't get over an island. I'll be after getting off an 11 hour flight. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) That's true. Damn it. Look at this. These people are here sawing down my trees. There's, uh, you know, the, Mm. the power company out here. Is always out here fucking up all my trees because they're nervous that um, a windstorm is going to come through and they're going to get fined when uh, it knocks down the power poles. Sons of guns, messing with my land. I've become such a mountain man. Every time I see him, I'm like, get out of my woods. I've gone crazy. <laughs> it's my trees. All right, guys. So next time we see you is going to be a battle bunker. Um, yes, Tom sir. will be there. Ryan will be there. If you guys are in the California area or you just want to fly in to come see us, it's going to be a blast. It'll be worth the while. We'll have a bunch of kegs and stuff afterwards to party at and then um, live in love. In the car dude. park, I hope. In the car park, dude. That's the only way I've party, dude. At the Elite Training Center. Uh, guys, if you're interested in what we've got going on on the house side of things, we are launching our training camp all virtual so you guys can do this anywhere in the world. And basically, we teach you the lessons of things that you basically learned about today with Tom and I basically being the – the strongest and best version of yourself through all of the uh, skills and little loopholes that I've learned in the 10 years of being a career athlete. And, you know, basically you can win at life if you can win as an athlete. So we're really pumped to share that with you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're interested in builder, you guys remember the sites builder international and buildersports.com. Get yourself some soon and we'll be back in touch. We'll see you soon. All right. You like that, Tom? That was pretty magical. <laughs> magical. That was magical. Oh, f-